if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to a new year of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast. Happy New Year to my usual guests, Nick Gilmer and George Harker. Um, Happy New Year. That's uh, Nick back to square one Gilmer at Old Trafford. Oh yeah, we'll get on to that. And hello George, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you all. You've been to the mainland and back, are you safe? Yes, got out safe and negative so far. And you and you've picked up some points. Yes, um, much more positive vibes this week. Hopefully, excellent. This week we're going to start with the big game on Sunday, the second of January, and that was Chelsea Liverpool at Stamford Bridge, which was dubbed by some as a title eliminator. Um, incredible game, this wasn't it? Um, I went to the pub and watched this alongside a Chelsea fan, so I dare say I even got a little bit into it, especially after. Uh, Liverpool took a 2-0 lead through Mane and another uh, ridiculously good goal from Salah. Chelsea came back with two goals just before half-time and it ended 2-2. But there were plenty more incidents in the second half too. It was just an all-round great game. So, George, I know you watched this too. What did you make of it all-round? Yeah, cracker. I know Nick's on the last pod, it'd be a draw. and It was a draw, but it was one of those entertaining draws you're likely to see this yeah. season. Um, this, you know, it's become a box ticking every game, hasn't it? A Salah wonder goal um, of some description. This one, yes, yeah. he did it against so City good. at Anfield, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, earlier in the season, similar type of goal on close to the byline and squeezed in. Yeah, um, it never looks in doubt, does it? It's, it's almost like you, you know, it's going in before he's even yeah. in the penalty area. But yeah, great goal, uh, great game. Um, but Kovacic arguably scored a better goal. With his uh, yeah. sumptuous volley. Um, Kovacic was absolutely brilliant, wasn't he? And uh, there was a point, maybe half an hour in, just after Salah had scored that goal and made it 2 0 to Liverpool. And uh, Mason Mount had done something, can't quite remember what, but someone was on the floor for uh, someone dressed in red was on the floor, and there was a VAR review for a possible red. I was watching this in a pub, so I didn't quite get every detail. But, um, you know, when that flashed up, and there was the chance of uh, Chelsea losing a man as well at 2-0 down. You thought it was done, and uh, you thought Liverpool had the points wrapped up and were potentially keeping themselves alive in a title race since they had two games in hand on City, and whereas Chelsea only had the one. But uh, then inside three minutes, as you said, Kovacic scored this amazing volley out of nowhere, and Pulisic then added another one in added time of, of the first half. And two two players that wouldn't usually be starting for Chelsea. Amazing. Yeah, that's right. Um, which shows you the depth of their squad and, and, and just adds to the the strange rumblings from Tuchel that he's like under strength and been like given a hard time. Like no, all, the, all the specky Germans that we talked about before. <laughs> the specky um, Germans strike again. Yeah. But those, yeah. Pulisic always seems to deliver. I think he's he's a very underrated player for Chelsea. Um, I think it's probably generous to start. call them rumblings, isn't it, George? It's uh, downright yeah, whinging it's, from Tuchel and Klopp all week. It's daily, or isn't Christmas. it? <laughs> <laughs> it is daily at the moment, yeah. And Pulisic's inclusion up there um, brings us neatly on to uh, Lukaku's omission, which I know you want to tell us about, Nick. 
Well, I, I think at time of recording, he's just issued an apology. Um, yeah, that's right. Which all feels very strange, I have to say. Um, having said that, I think, you know, fair play to Chelsea for being the strong club that I think yeah. they they are and for taking a firm line with a player who clearly felt like this was okay because he used to do it all the time at United. Where do you feel this uh, demand for an apology would have come from? Saving from the very face. top? Yeah, I would say so. I think they've invested a lot of money in him. Like he's a hundred pound player, hundred million pound player almost. Yeah, and he's only been there six months, and it, it was a really smelly interview to give. I don't yeah. think it's that bad. And I think these things are being said all the time, particularly on international breaks, and it was recorded some time ago. But just to recap, Lukaku gave this interview to Sky Italia, I think yeah, it was that's right. in, in mid December when he wasn't playing. And then it was aired on New Year's Eve just after he got back into the team. And indeed, we commented that he changed the game at Aston Villa and scored uh, and then scored against Brighton, albeit they drew that one late on. That was a, a game that took place last midweek after we recorded. Um, I think it's ironic that um, I think the purpose of the interview actually was set out to reconcile himself with the fans of Inter because he yeah. left there under a cloud. Exactly. Like he has yeah. done in almost yeah. everywhere else. And in, in the process of sort of reconciling his differences with the Inter fans and trying to win back his legacy. Well, that's why I came straight quickly. to you, Nick, because he's done something of the same ilk at United too, hasn't he? He has. I think he's, um, he's a troublemaker um, when he's not happy. Some would say that's an elite mentality. Um, I think the next six months in a Chelsea shirt will, just, will, will show whether or not it's the right move. That's right. And now, uh, obviously, the next game is uh, at home in the League Cup semi-final against us, against Spurs. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday night, so that's happening later in the week. And uh, now that he's apologised, I fear that he's going to be <laughs> back in the starting lineup and banging them in against us, but hopefully not. One thing to just add on the Liverpool-Chelsea game, which was an absolute cracker, is I think I stand corrected. I had been predicting this wobble would would turn into all-out um, warfare at Chelsea, then downing yeah. of tools. And I have to say, I think to have come back from 2-0 down against one of the best teams in the country yeah. shows an enormous um, strength of mentality uh, and and one that I'm looking at quite enviously as a United fan yeah. right now. And they did play re- really well second half as well. They should have won it. Um, they were the better team. Yeah. And uh, it, it caught me by surprise, I have to say. I thought Liverpool would comfortably win it at 2-0. You know, it was more about how many they would get. So there was that fabulous goal from uh, Kovacic, who I thought would have deserved man of the match even without the goal. But with that goal, uh, certainly well-deserved. Uh, alongside Kante, he always quietly puts in these amazing performances anyway. But yeah, he's... Um, Stepping backwards, uh, it was incredible. Sort of the way he leaning, adjusted, leaning backwards and volleying it into the top corner. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. He sort of adjusted his body weight and kicked all in midair, all at the same time. It was incredible, and the finish was perfect. Yeah, and it also aesthetically a bit better for going off the first post and always. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Things could have been different at the very start, couldn't they? There was that controversial. Uh, elbow or forearm, depending on how you see it, from yeah. uh, Mane. What did you think? One of those, isn't it, where they, they always go back to, oh, he's got eyes on the ball. Yeah, he did, but he led, led with his elbow. And it's and also one of those where it's too early in the game, in inverted commas, which is just irrelevant what minute it happens in. I yes. thought it was quite brutal. I think Mane's always got this in him, hasn't he? He's got a bit of a side to him where he can leave a boot in, or in this case, an elbow. Um, I, that's a red card for me, but... 
I, I thought um, it was horrific. I can't believe it wasn't a red card. I can't believe it wasn't turned. Do you think the minute of the game came into it? Always. And, you know, it's, it's irrelevant a disgrace. It shouldn't do. Mm. But I think there's not much different with what Mane's done there. It's what happened to that Ian Hume when he got injured some sort of 12, 13 years ago. That could have broken a guy's cheekbone. I thought it was horrendous. And oh, wow. Really, that's a real hot back, that is. Yeah. That well, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I just, stuff. <laughs> I was... I was amazed that it wasn't... Um, I mean, what is the point of VAR if not to stop players getting elbows in their faces? So, um, I, I'm i not entirely sure. Uh, I think Alan Shearer on Match of the Day said that's a red card all day long, every day. I don't think I agree with that. I think it is uh, give or take. And I did think that was a bit rich coming from him who left his elbows everywhere in his long it career. Is, yeah. um, but Peter Walton... That uh, <laughs> that uh, much derided expert who's been all over the airwaves all weekend. We'll come to the other game where he was very vocal shortly. He said about this that it was not worthy of a red card. He said that Mane led with his forearm, not his elbow. He made no secondary movement and his arm was only used to propel him upwards. So you both disagree with that? Yeah, very much. And I uh, I think Peter Wilson comes across as a bit like that minister for propaganda in Iraq. <laughs> wheeled out to defend the latest refereeing debacle every week. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Ever, ever goes against it, does he? <laughs> ever. So that uh, Peter Walton is perhaps the segue to uh, events at Arsenal Man City, where he tried to defend the application of uh, the clear and obvious error rule. And indeed, he's got a little bit in the uh, Times of Monday. He's got a little bit under, under the heading, The Expert View, where he's written... Um, it may have been a foul in isolation, but in the context of the game, Atwell should not have been sent to the monitor. I mean, that already doesn't make any sense, does it? It may have been a foul in isolation, but sentences shouldn't begin like that from a refereeing expert, I feel. But um, who wants to recap for us the two incidents in this game? George? I mean, the penalty incident is a bit similar to my view on the Mane one. I don't I don't see how that's not a penalty on on Odegaard. So go on, summarise the two for us. So the Odegaard penalty, he's taken an extra touch to take it, I mean, to take it away from goal, granted. um, But Edison clearly doesn't touch the ball and just takes down Odegaard. It's foot on foot, isn't it? Yeah, so um, as as Peter Walton says here, uh, despite multiple angles and slow motion replays, we still could not be certain whether Edison clipped the ball with his heel just before Odegaard got there. So there's one angle that mm. makes it really look like it's foot mm. on foot from Edison. And there's another angle that makes it look rather like it's foot on ball from Edison. So they did say mm. on match of the day that night that uh, they weren't sure and that you could not overrule the on-field decision because you could not reach a clear and obvious verdict. And that went against the the hue and cry from uh, your lookalike, George Jake Humphrey on BT Sport uh, on New Year's Day, who together with uh, guests Julian Lescott and Rio Ferdinand spent, I don't know, seemed like hours complaining about VAR and complaining about the fact that all we ever talk about is VAR when they're the ones that very much lead the discussion. But yeah, in their defence... Uh, match of the day have quite a few more hours to deliberate and analyze all this stuff before they go on air and so do we of course we have lots more opinions to weigh up and read before we record as well but uh, 
Yeah, the second one then, George, was Bernardo Silva and Xhaka, wasn't it? So this was uh, all the talk on the TV coverage, uh, the live coverage on BT Sport was about the shirt pull, the fact that uh, Xhaka pulls Silva's shirt. But then on the match of the day coverage again, Shearer and Lineker, the striker's view was very much that the the leg that uh, Xhaka puts out, whether Silva goes down easily or not, was enough for the penalty. I totally agree. Yeah. And it, it's really hard though to take out the equation that it's Xhaka, isn't it? Like he just yeah. his reputation, as we talked about before, always precedes him. But I would um, have thought that would be in a referee's mind, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> very hard not to. But again, I I think quite clear. I, I don't see why these decisions are deliberated for so long. I think they're even with the, you know, eight or nine camera angles, I think it's quite clear. It is worth saying that you know, having boldly told anyone who would listen for the last month or two that every time Arsenal play a proper team they have their pants pulled down I have to say I was really impressed with Arsenal and I felt they were really unlucky um, I didn't get to watch all of this but but to all intents and purposes they dominated up until the red card against what I think is the benchmark for the best team in the country who are going to go in yeah. the league I think they've all pre-ordered their DVDs of the hour they were ahead against City <laughs> haven't they? Good um, count on you for the objective view there Alex well, I certainly enjoyed the Rodri winner, I must say, and all the missiles. George knows a thing about or two about missiles being thrown at players. Uh, another half-full bottle of Coke at Ellen Road this weekend. but uh, it makes it sound like I was going to say, <laughs> careful. It's like but, you're accusing George of launching a projectile. But at Arsenal, it's more uh, bog rolls and paper airplanes, isn't it, by the look very, of it? Very posh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very civilized. <laughs> anyway, it was uh, it was a nice celebration from City, um, and it did look like a, a, a title winning one, didn't it? Yeah, I think that's that now. It will be interesting to see who comes fourth and then who goes down. I think the rest of it is going to be pretty much sealed. That's right. The other game that we uh, that happened after we recorded last week was uh, Man City at Brentford, and Brentford once again had a close game at home against one of the big sides under the lights. But even there, just like everywhere else, Man City grounded out. So um, ever since they were knocked out of the League Cup by West Ham and then lost shockingly at home to Crystal Palace, which was at the end of November, they've won every game in the league. They have slipped up in a Champions League game at Red Bull Leipzig that didn't really mean that much. But otherwise, they've won every single game. They've gone to places like Arsenal, Brentford, OK, Newcastle, bit of a gimme. But uh, <laughs> of course, the Manchester not, not Derby... True. The Manchester derby was in that series. Yes, indeed, United showed that it's not quite a gimme, didn't they? And uh, now they can put their feet up a bit. They've got Swindon away in the FA Cup. But other than that, uh, for a good two-week period now, they don't have a game. And then they welcome Chelsea to the Etihad, where they can truly finish them off, as it were. And one suspect they might. So elsewhere on New Year's Day, Conte's Tottenham went to Watford, um, where Spurs have slipped up uh, rather ignominiously in recent years. And uh, certainly one of our teams did earlier this season, didn't they? I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, yes, um, Ranieri was very proud of his team. They, they um, I, I don't know if pushed us all the way is the right word when they just sort of sit back and soak it up all game um certainly on the match of the day highlights there wasn't a single highlight I, I don't even mean just a chance i mean actually any action in our half in the first half of this match um this is one of those games where larice really um encapsulated that goalkeepers that good goalkeeper stereotype of having nothing to do and then pulling out a great save in the second half because 
all he'd had to do previously was keep warm, really. So I was listening again to this on uh, BBC London uh, coverage where they said, where, where they bemoaned the fact that the, uh, the, the Tottenham away fans were at the other end from all this action and could barely see anything that they that they paid their money for <laughs> for the first hour or so. It took all day sort of slipping in and out of a, of a sort of New Year's Day snooze on the sofa listening to this. And then in the 95th minute or so, there was, a, there was I think, eight minutes added on to this game because of yet another uh, medical emergency in the crowd, which always seems to happen at Spurs games. I don't know why. But uh, 96 minutes, I think, were on the clock when uh, they gave away a silly three kick. And then um, Min Son whipped it in. For some reason, Watford uh, defended it far too deep. And... Uh, Sanchez from about three or four yards just nodded it in. So I think it's a great example of um, not playing well, but still winning. You thought it would never come, and it did. It's quite nice for New Year's Day, that sort of uh, result. Don't really have all that much more to say about it, other than uh, <clears throat> I'm just in, sort of quietly impressed with Conte's progress. I don't think he's playing our most explosive and most interesting players. I think. Um, I think uh, James Gearbrandt, a uh, journalist I quite like, made this point in the Times in his match report, saying that he's leaving people out of the likes of Ndombele and Lo Celso, who can play progressive passes and make things happen, and in favour playing um, Skip and Hoiberg together as two holding midfielders. This will be familiar to you, Nick, um, just the idea of playing two holding midfielders in a game where in sort of previous incarnations of your club, you wouldn't have thought that that would ever happen or be necessary. At this point, though, as long as the results come and the points trickle in, I'm very happy with that. But it does make you wonder what the fates of players like Deli Alley and Dombele, the Celso, will be if they don't get games in this side. Uh, anyway, uh, elsewhere... On New Year's Day, a far more exciting game was chosen by Sky at tea time. That was Palace at home to West Ham. West Ham surged into a 3-0 lead. I, I don't know if you saw Lanzini's finish for a Spurs oh, goal. That was really, really nice. Got to talk about this. This is an absolute wonder goal, isn't Please it? Please do, George. So I believe it was Declan Rice, one of his surging midfield runs. It was, um, yeah. yeah. Knocks it to Lanzini. I've watched it back a few times. So I can describe it in quite specific detail. He controls it with his right on the D, touches it again with his right to take it past a defender, tees it up with his left toes, and then smashes it in off the crossbar. All in the space of like a second and a half, takes four touches. It's absolutely wonderful strike. And yeah, it's got to be up there for goals of the season. It would take a lot to beat that, I think. Um, and he's capable of this, yeah. obviously. Scores a lot of wonder goals, doesn't he? On on that note, very early in December, Lucas scored that fabulous goal um, mm. that we discussed and said might win goal of the month. It didn't, obviously, because the goal of the month vote was done after a Liverpool game on match of the day, so that was a fix. But um, <laughs> basically, <laughs> Lucas was Lucas was goal of the month. Um, and similarly, I think um, Lanzini might win goal of the month here with. Um, but it obviously overshadowed perhaps the next day by Kovacic. So I don't know which is it better is. between the two. But yeah, but he only took one touch. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I think West Ham's little mini wobble seems to be over. Looks like they held on. They didn't really. 
Palace yeah. two goals were pretty late on. Yeah, um, they lost at home to Southampton on Boxing Day, perhaps mm. uh, a bit weary that, that day. But then they followed that up with away trips uh, to Watford and Palace, and they've scored seven goals in those exactly. games. Exactly. Yeah. So I think they're they're still firmly in the in the hunt for that fourth spot. You'd have to say at the moment they've got uh, Leeds visiting in the cup, and that's followed by. Norwich at home in the league, uh, which is one of those COVID postponements that's been rearranged for a midweek coming up. So uh, that should be three more points for them, you'd have thought. Yeah, absolutely. We've actually and progress to... in the cup, George. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, and no, I won't. I won't bat an eyelid if they do. <laughs> Despite being a purist, uh, I love the cups, but this year is just not important. Um, it's a good job we're terrible at them. Yeah, we've actually we've actually got them twice in a week. Uh, we've got them the following Sunday as well. So perfect segue, George, to Leeds. This looks good on paper, three-one against Burnley, but in reality, left it pretty late. A bit late, yeah. And I've seen a lot of social media activity saying, you know overreacting to a win at home to Burnley but that is the <laughs> that is the point because they are right behind us in the league and that yeah. is where we find ourselves so that's right it may just be Burnley but it's a team that had three games in hand on us and still do actually I believe uh, they're two behind you two sorry because they played away at, and at eight points United. behind you now so yeah very significant result isn't it yeah and it was nice that the second of our three goals was scored by Stuart Dallas, who's yeah. the only player who's coming out with any credit so far this season, obviously alongside Rafinha. Oh, that sounds harsh. Well, <laughs> have you seen where we are in the league? I have. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was his 250th appearance, which is the first player to do that since Lucas Radaby, which shows you how much player turnover we've yeah, had since those Premier League days. But a very important win. Um, we took the lead in the first half through Jack Harrison, which amazingly his first league goal of the season which if someone had said that to you you'd probably yeah that's right you, you've mentioned on the show before that he's uh, not mm. performed anywhere near his level from last year nowhere near I know he did have a bad bout of Covid um, midway through the season but he has been off it since the very start and ironically it's the season we've actually made him a permanent signing <laughs> Um, right, yeah. In previous years, he's been on loan signing and been fabulous. But good to see him get on the score sheet. Hopefully, that kicks him on for the season. Um, they made a good sub at half time in Maxwell Corne, who I know we spoke about before. Yeah, and are you willing to give him goal signing. of the day for that direct free kick? Uh, no, I actually think he probably should have been saved. It was it was so far out. Don't tell terrible. me Melier dropped one in. <laughs> he didn't drop it in. <laughs> I just a free kick that far out. It has to be better than that for me to score. It had no real height on it and not too much pace oh yes I remember now I I, I recall and my first thought was Mm. he's just too short that goalkeeper (laughs) Um, and this is another example of a player not knowing where they are he runs over to our cop effectively yes. and starts dancing and when I say runs over he stands on the touchline so he's very close to the fans and starts doing a dance and doing you know a Canos. yes indeed with much less anger though this is like a happy dance <laughs> and and inevitably something gets thrown at him and events uh, comes the half full <laughs> bottle of coke and not from you I should add but from no. someone <laughs> Indeed, yeah, and which I can I can vouch for the fact probably is a waste of about two two or three pounds. Yeah, it, there has to be some sort of understanding that yeah you don't throw things obviously, but there has to be the, the football pitch can't be this this zone where players can get away with anything and, and yeah. they, there's no retribution. Um, don't do things like that. <laughs> um, run to the away fans and do a dance or or whatever. But a good goal nonetheless. Although I think it should have been saved. And then Stuart Dallas with a lovely left foot strike from the edge of the area which rooted Hennessy I hadn't realised up to that point that Nick Pope wasn't even playing um, 
Yeah, Hennessy and, and another poor keeper after we mentioned Forster last time. And maybe... Yeah, another keeper who's racked up a significant number of clubs in his career. Um, and, and no yeah. sympathy for him after he, he was the one who pretended not to know what a Nazi salute was. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Oh, you, you, yeah. you think he's never, he's never actually heard of the Nazis? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> must, have, must have skipped history at school. Eh? And then Dan James just put a little, little cherry on top with a header from the smallest player on the pitch. Um and a good little cameo from from young Joe Gelhart again, who will probably get a run of games now because we got another injury in the game in Tyler Roberts. So, and Bamford is nowhere near. Well, there's no sight of him coming back into the team anytime soon. So, Gelhart might get a bit of a run. Um, so, an important important result. Um, puts and we've points. mentioned your upcoming uh, two trips to West Ham in League and Cup. Uh, yes. Your next home game is in three weeks at home to Newcastle. Who knows who could be in their let's team hope, then, eh? Let's hope they get long drawn out transfers, yeah. because Trippier be, uh, and Lukaku and all these, Usman Dembele. Aubameyang on loan, I heard as well. Aubameyang. Yeah, indeed. So we'll see, yeah, we'll see what kind of team we face then. That could be a huge game. But a good three points, much needed. And like I said, puts eight points between us in the bottom three. So hopefully we can just start pulling away a bit and leave Watford, Burnley, Norwich, Newcastle to fight out. So yesterday, Monday, 3rd of January, it wasn't quite Monday night football. Allegedly, it was moved for the darts, Nick. Who would have thought? Man United giving oh, way to it? the that world darts. That explains it. I don't I know. I was wondering why we had a Monday 5.30. Such is the time. claim, yeah. But uh, the um, stellar fixture that you love, I know Man United Wolves served up so many uh, good games recently, I say with loaded sarcasm. And it was a famous, famous night for Wolves. Their first win at Old Trafford in 40-odd years. Real Moutinho with a late goal. Um, so let's pay our quick tributes to Wolves, who continue to get better. Bruno Large, very impressive, especially in his sort of tactical analysis in his interview after the game when he made it seem really simple what he'd done to get past Rangnick's United. So Wolves are now just three points behind Manchester United, up to eighth place, uh, two additional games still to play. They had their home fixture against Watford and trip to Arsenal postponed. So a great night for them, but inevitably all the attention is once again on Man United. Nick, the the, the Sky coverage had uh, Jamie Redknapp and Paul Ince in the studio. It was quite entertaining at times, both of them pretty angry afterwards at what they'd seen. Uh, Luke Shaw's interview is another thing I'm sure you're going to talk about. He seemed to really uh, question uh, the player's commitment and also the manager's ability. Ralph Rangnick, his interview was quite ordinary, I suppose, but then (laughs) what could he say at this stage? Uh, But the facts are that uh, he's won those 10 points with uh, wins against Palace, Norwich, Burnley, but he's failed to win at Newcastle and now he's lost at home against Wolves and he's got a break in the Premier League coming up just like everybody else and the suggestion is he's got an awful lot of work to do. Yeah I think so Um, I mean credit to Wolves they were better in every single position on the pitch apart from in goal Um, and and they came and played like they knew they were the better team which is I think almost more worrying the two best midfielders on the pitch both played in old goal and it was difficult to tell which is the team which used to be winning trophies and which is the team that, um, you know, was in the championship a few years ago. And so I think, yeah, there's a lot of work to do for Rangnick. Uh, I think it's strange that he's given them two days off after that performance when he needs wow. time on. The, yeah, really strange. And I think... Um, Doesn't want to see them. <laughs> it's a punishment. The only other thing he might have 
he might have been suggesting is that they're knackered, which again yeah. would be a surprise having had a couple of games moved for COVID. So when um, we say he has a lot of work to do, do you think that work is tactical or do you think it's more like calling players into the office for dressing down? No, I think it's much more the latter. And I think the players, I think Luke Shaw's interview, which we'll talk about, yeah. suggests there's a real attitude problem. It's a, it's a rotten dressing room, I think. I think the body language point, the fact that Sky Pundits and viewers are able to pick up on that, it must be really stinky in the yeah. dressing room and you want I, what i can't work out is why if there's some bad apples that need rooting out or um if there's just a feeling that it's been this sort of merry-go-round of unqualified coaches coming in and the players know best there aren't many serial winners in that dressing room bar ronaldo and, and pogba i suppose mm-hmm. um so i don't quite get this sort of arrogance that the players can do 45 minutes of a shift against palace and then just ditch any of the tactics and training that they've obviously been having hammered into them with the the guy who invented the Gagan press. So I was um, going to ask you how you look back at those games that I mentioned. So you reckon it was one good half against Palace of uh, doing what the manager said and since then, not really. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the players have now run out of excuses. I think the, it was an easy thing to hide behind Ole and his lack of experience, but they've lurched now from a Mourinho-shaped manager through to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, They've now got a German specky nerd um, <laughs> who are so in vogue right now. Yeah. Um, and and at some point you have to say it's not the manager's problem here. This is yeah. something going on in the dressing room. I can only guess. I wonder if Ronaldo joining has upset people. I wonder if there is just a bad attitude or a unprofessional approach. I wonder if United have spent too much money on wages and they've got a bunch of mercenaries there who don't mm-hmm. really care it's really difficult to put your finger on it. And that's why no one has been able to do it so far. Um, How do you explain what seemed to be uh, quite a good vibe after Solskjaer's sacking the three games, Villarreal away, Chelsea away and Arsenal at home under Carrick? The vibe was quite good around there. Is that just relief that Solskjaer was gone or what happened there? Player power? Yeah, obviously not being in the dressing room, it's really difficult to know. I think one thing... The criticisms of Ole was that he was too pally and too matey with the players and was not hard enough and not able to do the, the, the tough things that managers often have to do. And, and so it would be a strange thing for those players to then fall out of love with that approach and then react badly when the tough sort of technician comes in. Yeah, I think, um, I just think there are so many problems that it's, it's really difficult to put your finger on one thing. I thought Shaw's interview was really revealing. He sort of yeah. said... You know, yeah, the attackers don't work hard enough. There aren't any options in front of them. They don't really care. And hopefully the manager can just give us some new ideas. Yeah, he wanted new ideas from his manager, but his manager's been there a while already. Yeah, and, you know, these players are not brainless. Well, mm. they play like it. Like, they've been playing professional football since they were 17. They've got their own ideas, like, express yourself on the pitch. They're not playing with fear. I wouldn't say that anything is frightening them. They just seem completely indifferent. And yeah. that's unforgivable. And um, I thought it was really worrying that the Mason Greenwood substitution was booed in, in Ralph's, what is it, second home game. I think that is a, a, a real worry. And I just cannot solve the conundrum of why Donny van der Beek still doesn't get a game. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. And that feels now like a performance art piece. Like, how long can you keep a footballer on the bench without playing him? Um, <laughs> it's very strange when as I said, the best two midfielders on the pitch from the beginning to the very end of the match were both playing for Wolves. Yeah. 
And then in Bruno Large's interview, uh, like I mentioned, he made it sound so simple, didn't he? He, he said he understood that uh, what would be United's wingers ordinarily play narrow. So you push your fullbacks up, your, your wingbacks to exploit that space. And Wolves did that and kept finding space out wide. Made it sound so easy. <laughs> it's a good thing that Wolves are pretty ropey in front of goal, to be honest, because yeah. it would have been it would have been another humiliation if they had a yeah. Triore with a, his woeful yeah. final ball. Yeah, it makes yeah. me laugh every time I watch him. A fully deserved three points for Wolves, and once again, United are looking over their shoulder rather than up. And yeah. I think fourth place is a pipe dream, unfortunately, this season. It's just it feels like one of the ones where the board has written the season off. We're sort mm-hmm. of rumbling along now. And of course, it, the consequences it, of that would be that it would be much harder to attract that top manager that you uh, yeah. ideally want for next season if you can't give him a shot in the Champions League. Yeah, the, the interesting thing has been, I think I've mentioned this before, is that when United are doing well and riding high and finishing second or third or fourth, the Glazers tend to tighten the purse strings in the summer. It's when we don't qualify and the sponsorship deals take a hit that United yeah. spend, spend a fortune in the summer. So we're always strengthening from a position of weakness. Wasn't that led by Woodward, though, who's now yeah. ostensibly gone? <laughs> well, it was. it's led by the balance sheet. You pay right. out your bonuses when you do well, and when you do badly, you make sure you're paying out a bonus again in 12 months. So you think that strategy wouldn't change? I doubt it. I think it mm. means that United will probably invest heavily in the, in the summer. And I also think this is a club that will make a marquee signing in January just to keep the wolf from the door. That's what they did with one matter. I think... It would need they need to do something pretty special. They did it with Bruno Fernandez, and it made a massive difference. Yeah, of course, that was a great sign. Is is it the the attitude and the application that's been shown that's the problem? Just looking at results, it's your first defeat in seven games in the league, so it's not like a crisis, is it? And that 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 defeat was the Watford game. Different definition was, of that word at Old Trafford, George, which was a crisis I, match. I, it's I, just I, is it the manner of it? I, I know you limped to a victory at Norwich and uh, the one that we haven't mentioned is the last game of the year at home mm. to Burnley, three one. Was that sort of were Burnley just too poor to bring? Yeah, out Burnley were just really uh, poor. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I take your point, George. I think mm. you know, it, it's not a crisis when you're sat seventh away from the relegation zone, but in a sport where the richest always win, essentially, mm. United are the exception in, the, in world football to that and yeah. are making heavy work, having outspent almost everyone, um, bar two or three teams. Um, mm. They're much closer to the mid-table mediocrity than they are top-of-the-table mm. dominance. And there's an awful lot of quality on on the side, like, yeah. There are some brilliant players in that team. So, um, so no, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I was actually surprised to read that was your first defeat wow. in seven games because it seems like you've been playing badly for... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think it's probably not unfair to say that United have played badly since the Leeds match. Should have lost um, at Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You peaked on the first day of the season, didn't you? Yeah, got the Swans. big one out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Ronaldo's first against Newcastle looked good. Yeah, that was a, a moment... But again, it was a moment that was not really about football. It was about a game assignment. of moments. So, yeah. yeah. We rely on individual moments as opposed to carefully crafted tactical brilliance that you see up the road in Liverpool and at City. And one other thing I'll say about the Burnley match, uh, George, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, is it's wonderful to see Aaron Lennon scoring at Old Trafford. Yes. And I did see a picture of um, him alongside Ronaldo. 
about yeah. 12 years ago. And Well, <laughs> if it feels like a long time uh, since he was at my club, for me, than for you, George. <laughs> a distant, a distant, yeah. distant memory. Just actually on that, he, he got a lovely reception at Ellen Road on, on Sunday. Yes, I saw that in, too, yeah. yeah. In stark contrast to receptions that Charlie Taylor and Chris Wood got. A bit of a, an ex-Leeds uh, retirement home, it seems, at Burnley. But um, yeah, just look at your fixtures, though, Nick. They're mostly against bottom half teams for the next couple of months. So yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say you're completely out of the race for fourth just yet. But now um, I I wanted to comment on this because a lot of people have said that, and I think George, you've said it before to try mm. and perk our friend Nick up. Mm. But of course, <laughs> the fact that they have such a run must have its consequences, mustn't it? And if we look sure. at uh, the March that is on the slate for Manchester United. It currently looks like Manchester City away, Tottenham at home, Atletico Madrid home, Liverpool away. So you can say they've got an easy run coming up, but there's always two sides to this, isn't there? And that could be another very interesting few weeks for the media circus around Manchester United looking at the way it's going. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know Stevie G will be tantalised by the opportunity to knock us out of the cup. And yeah, of course. That's, that's the narrative klaxon in full flow, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you're right in that you end up having to play the bigger teams later on in the season, but I think it's more if you make heavy work of the smaller teams, mm-hmm. you can't really go into those bigger games with much confidence, and I think that's the problem that United have. Like they have, you know, you know what happened with City, you know what happened with Liverpool. And it also shows the folly of uh, getting excited about get games in hand because it's much better to have the points on the board as you showed with this result. Yeah. Okay, so just a quick look ahead to what we've got coming up. We're going to take a break next week because it's the FA Cup. So like the leading lights of the Premier League, we're going to have a rest. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back to talk about the exciting FA Cup third round after the next Premier League match day, which will be in the middle of January. What I thought we'd do to very quickly preview the FA Cup third round from a Premier League perspective, lads, is go through every Premier League side's opponent and just comment on whether we think they're going to prevail or whether there is a cup set on the cards. So I will start by telling you what I think and you can chip in as and when you think uh, is appropriate. So Arsenal are away at Forest. I'm doing this alphabetically. Arsenal are away at Forest. I remember uh, maybe five or six years ago when they lost at the city ground in the cup. It was very enjoyable, of course. George, I always go to you for um, information on how the lower league teams are getting on. I haven't got used to the fact that you're now a fan of a Premier League side again. So I don't know if, Me you've, neither. Still, Me neither. if you've still got an eye on the um, championship, but how are Forest doing? They, they are going back towards the playoffs, um, having been in mid-table me- mediocrity for about 10 years, I think. But um, yeah, it could be potentially tricky for Arsenal. Potentially, yeah. I'll take that. So uh, let's say a probable Arsenal win, but worth a watch. <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. Aston Villa go to Man United. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to say narrative, Gerard win. Yeah, Villa, they outplayed us earlier in the season. They've got a better manager now, or they're playing better, and United are playing worse. Villa. So we're in agreement there. Brentford go to Port Vale. Um, just a shoulder shrug from me, George. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Brighton go to West Brom. This is the kind of FA Cup tie that I'm going to call a toss-up because uh, West Brom are a cup side and they're not a cup side, if you know what I mean. Sometimes they go deep into the tournament. Sometimes they just don't care. And Brighton are playing really, really, really well, but who knows who they're going to field. So I'm going to call that a toss-up. 
Burnley at home to Huddersfield. I mean, likewise, yep. Burnley will definitely field a below-strength side and or not care. <laughs> uh, Chelsea at home to Chesterfield, uh, walkover. Crystal Palace at Millwall, a police incident, basically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't, I don't know in footballing terms. Uh, Everton are away at Hull. That, I'm going to say, home win for Hull. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Despite the fact they're near the relegation zone, it doesn't really matter, I don't think. Yeah, I'm not sure. Given Everton's that, confidence. I'll, I'll give Everton that. I think they need a boost. I think that's the sort of when they'll win. And then losing the league the next week. Yeah. <laughs> so you're both going for a narrow Everton win to uh, boost morale, are you? No, no, I'm going for a Hull win. No, okay, absolutely. all right. Yeah, yeah, so the two of us for Hull and one for Everton. Uh, George, you've already said that Leeds will lose at West Ham. I'm afraid yeah, I, agree. I see that too. I think maybe you've got more chance in the league fixture that follows. Yeah, um, it'd, be, it'd be similar to the team we fielded against Arsenal. It'd be kids. Um, yeah. Nurse back a few injuries, so yeah. Leicester are at home to Watford. Um, I mean, Watford are not a cup side, even when they're in the final, are they? Because they lost that one 6-0. Yeah. So. No, yeah. Uh, but I think this is 5 or 6 It's the Ranieri derby, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a nice angle to it. Thank you. Got your eye on the narrative there, George. Liverpool at home to Shrewsbury. Uh, City are away at Swindon. I mean, whoever they field, they're going to win handsomely. Is, yeah, two gimmies for the two best teams in the country. Newcastle at home to Cambridge United. Even Newcastle can't mess that one up, do we think? No. Comfortable Newcastle win. Uh, Norwich are at Charlton. That I'm certainly going to call a toss-up. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Likewise, I don't I think... know. I think I'm going Norwich comfortably. Okay. At the Valley? Yeah, I just think Norwich's level is the best team in the championship. Okay. Fair point. <laughs> Fair point, yeah. <laughs> uh, Southampton go to Swansea. I have very little opinions on this. Southampton with new owners. Breaking news, Claxon. Oh, Serbia. Uh, tell us more. Yeah. Oh, that's as much as I know. He's, yeah. A, a Serbian, tell us more next time. <laughs> Serbian businessman, but I am going to go Southampton. I think the squad depth in the Prem means that shocks are happening less and less and less. Yeah, I agree. And that brings us on nicely to Tottenham at home to Morecambe. <laughs> yeah, that one I am going to go Morecambe. <laughs> <laughs> and that leaves uh, Wolves at home to Sheffield United. Toss mm. up. Just don't know who's going to play. Yeah, I think Wolves. I think Wolves. Another Wolves 1 0. Yeah. So we don't foresee many upsets at all. Uh, let's see what the reality brings. Also, before we next speak, we've got the both legs of the EFL Cup semi-finals. Unless Liverpool managed to get theirs postponed, which uh, scandalously they're trying to do. Oh. We are, um, to put it mildly, we're all a bit sick of uh, Messrs Tuchel, Klopp, etc. whinging with their massive squads, aren't we? Yeah, it's a disgrace. They need to get team out considering that's the same manager and the same team who didn't even bother sending the first team or manager to an actual Carabao Cup match yeah to then try and get a semi-final moved when Wembley's on the horizon no not having it play the match yeah so Liverpool uh, are due to play uh, away at Arsenal this week and then the second leg at Anfield next week meanwhile we go to the bridge this Wednesday and welcome uh, in inverted commas Chelsea to our place next week uh, hopefully I'll be there and um, it's going to be a fascinating and tense week for all followers of Tottenham Hotspur because we have that to look forward to and then at the end of that week the North London derby and to Arsenal yeah. I'm backing a Conte revenge mission and Spurs to come out on top of those games I think uh, mm-hmm. yeah I would say I'd be delighted with uh, a win and a draw doesn't really work with the cup does it but uh, certainly 
delighted with progress to the final and uh, let's not get greedy, just not losing to Arsenal at home. But yeah, imagine if we could win both. Um, and then before we next speak, we also will have the next round of the Premier League, which is officially round 22 uh, after a break for the Cup. There are a couple of uh, games in hand being played here and there in between now and then. But essentially, the next big fixture is on Saturday, 15th of January. Lunchtime fixture on BT Sport, Man City, Chelsea. As I mentioned, Man City can finish Chelsea off once and for all there. Then uh, United go to Villa, having played them at home in the Cup. And on the Sunday, just before the North London derby, we've got West Ham Leeds on TV as well. So big weekend for all of us. And the other thing, looking at this schedule that I think is worth just pointing out as a big fan of international football, me personally, and just uh, I'm generally in favour of internationalising football discussion, is uh, the African Cup of Nations, for which players have now been released, unless they belong to Watford. (laughs) But uh, most players have been uh, released for the tournament that starts this coming weekend in Cameroon and ends in early February. But actually, when you look at it with this break for the FA Cup third round, then a Premier League winter break that's been arranged, and then the FA Cup fourth round immediately after that, most teams in the Premier League are only going to play two league games and perhaps uh, the odd rearranged game here and there during the African Cup of Nations. And of course, the expanded 24-team tournament over there in Cameroon will have 16 teams uh, sent home after just two weeks, after the round of the last 16. So, you know, the the majority of players will be back before the end of the month. Uh, It's not a big deal. You often see write-ups saying uh, such and such team will miss such and such player. It will be a big miss for them. It's not a big deal. And I think we should get behind uh, the great... Uh, international tournament that is the African Cup of Nations. If only, George, just wanted to mention this, if only to watch, since it's on Sky this year, which is exciting, um, if only to see Stephen Corker playing for Sierra Leone. Yes, I read that. Absolutely. We'll be tuning in for that. (laughs) Where is he playing his trade these days? Uh, I believe he's playing in Turkey. Well, let me read you a quick... uh, Excerpt from World Soccer. The former Liverpool QPR and Tottenham Hotspur defender now playing club football in Turkey. A switch in international allegiance. He played one friendly for England back in 2012. And because, uh, and if you've only played a friendly for a country, you can still switch allegiance. So uh, it says his inclusion in the squad for Sierra Leone would be a huge fillip as the West African country goes to the finals for the first time since 1996. Corker's grandfather is from Sierra Leone. So let me just very, very quickly zoom through the groups. I, just for what it's worth, I believe Senegal are going to win it. Remarkably, they've never won the African Cup of Nations. It really is incredible, um, given how how often it is staged. Uh, I think they'll finally do it. Their manager is Aliou Cisse. You might remember, this really is uh, shocking that the 2002 World Cup is now 20 years ago. But you might remember he was the captain of that side that beat France on the opening match of that World Cup. Uh, So I fancy them to win. But uh, in short, in Group A, you've got the hosts Cameroon, Chupo Moting et al. They won it uh, surprisingly in 2017. Probably not good enough to win it this year, although they've got home advantage. Group B is the group with Senegal. As I said, I think they'll do it this time round. Group C, you've got uh, Ghana, Ghana with Thomas Partey, Morocco with Ashraf Hakimi. Group D, you've got Nigeria, Wilfred Ndidi, 
But the Napoli uh, striker, Victor Ozimin, is sadly injured. So that's a big miss for them. Egypt with Salah, of course, and manager Carlos Quiros have to think they're going to do well. But there is a, uh, a long-standing kind of pattern that the North African sides don't do well in sub-Saharan host countries like Cameroon. Um, in Group E, you've got Stephen Corker, Sierra Leone. <laughs> you have to think they'll be outsiders. But you've got Ivory Coast and Algeria with Riyad Mahrez. Uh, Group F is pretty wide open. Uh, Mali might be dark horses in that one. But yeah, those are those are basically the, the big sides, big players. Plenty of reasons to watch if you have nothing else to, to do in the next few weeks. So I'm going to leave it there for today. I'm going to wish you all uh, a nice break as we have a stressful League Cup semi-final. You two can put your feet up and uh, wait for interesting all-Premier League FA Cup ties in your case. But we will convene again in two weeks. Thank you very much as ever. Nick, see you and uh, thank you, George. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye.